You're like, who are we clapping for? We're clapping for God, who is amazing and who does amazing things. And we don't want to forget that being a part of things like passion are extraordinary privileges of God, that he would allow us to steward something as stunning as the journey of passion over the last 21 years is absolutely mind-boggling. And uh, we are so grateful just to be a part of what God's doing. But, you know, the scripture says about Jesus, interestingly, that uh, there were places where he would go where he was so familiar that people missed the power. Can you imagine that Jesus couldn't be Jesus in some places because they knew him when he grew up? And they were like, oh, that's a kid from the street. Oh, my son went to soccer with him. Oh, we knew their family back before, whatever, whatever. And there were places where Jesus couldn't really be Jesus because he was too familiar to the people. And it's possible that we could actually live maybe so familiar with things like passion that we absolutely miss the power of what God is doing right before our very eyes. People say, I wish... We, you know, we need a re revival in, in our nation. Well, there were just 33,000 18 to 25-year-olds in three venues linked together. And that's pretty spectacular in and of itself, but it's the largest gathering of college students in the world this year. And that, that doesn't shine a light on anybody. It just makes me want to say, wow, thank you, Lord, and please help me that I don't become too familiar with the supernatural and the miraculous work of God in this generation of college students through something called Passion Conferences, because it continues to be extraordinary, and this year was no different, and if you were there, you know that, and if you've been there over the last few years, you're like, I can't be better than last year, and then you're like, wow, that, that was the best one ever. <laughs> And then you show up the next year and you're like, nope, I think that one was the best one ever. And that's what you want with God. You want to go from glory to glory. You, you, want to, you want to know you're with the living God and that he didn't run out a year ago or two years ago, that your best chapter hasn't been written already, that we're not in the epilogue of the story of God. The pen is in his hand and he's still writing with the power that he always writes with in our lives. And so... Today, we want to take a moment to just rest in the power of that. And maybe you were there, maybe you weren't. And if you weren't, you're, you're possibly feeling a little left out right now. Like, you know, I couldn't get off work and I don't even go to this church and I'm not 18 to 25 and four or five other reasons why you, you weren't maybe a part of passion. But the beauty of passion is that it's not about a bunch of people getting in a space. It's about God seeing individual people and having a purpose and a plan for their lives. And I want you to walk away today. I want to walk away today from our, our, our sort of joint celebration of what God did at Passion with personal encouragement about what God's going to do in 2018 in your life. We're kicking off a new series as a church next Sunday, our sort of New Year series. It's going to be a, 
I, I believe, I, I'm, I'm as excited about it, I'll just tell you this, as any series I've ever planned in my life. So um, I'm on go mode, big time. So if you show up next week, get ready for that. Uh, but it's gonna be a great series over the next maybe two months together as we journey thinking about this year ahead and what God wants to do in it. But today we just wanna pause for a moment. I wanna introduce you to some friends, some of them you know, some of them you're gonna get to know today. That's Grant on the end down there. If you don't know Grant, he is uh, one of the pastors at our church. He heads up our student ministry. Middle school's actually rocking pretty strong right now. I got Maya Moore, former Olympic gold medalist over there right now, talking about how not to find your your value and self-worth in what you do. So I can't think of a better person to do that, so way to go. And you kind of want to be over there a little bit, don't you? Because that's pretty special. Uh, High school, middle school. Um, This is Molly in the middle, who's a junior at the University of Georgia. And she was so excited because of tomorrow night. She said they're having a Bible study tomorrow night, her and some of her friends at Georgia. And she says, it's going to be so great. And I'm so excited about it. Pray for us. So I was like, wow, we'll totally do that. And um, have we mentioned yet that the national championship is tomorrow night? Has that been mentioned in this gathering? Brad, did you mention that? If you were here at the 915, uh, which you weren't, um, we, Bobby Bowden, Coach Bobby Bowden, legendary uh, coach, two-time national championship coach, uh, Florida State Seminole. For real? Man, I didn't think y'all came out if it was below 50 degrees. That's uh, amazing. Uh, he presented the Bobby Bowden Award at the 915 gathering to Mason Rudolph, a quarterback from Oklahoma State University. It's the college award for not only accomplishment on the field, but character off the field. It was a great moment for us, and they do that at the National Championship City site every year, and they like to do it in a church because it's uh, built around faith in Jesus, and it was a really cool moment. Um, as we're, Molly, in the National Championship sort of moment right now. Are you excited? So excited. Are you going to the game? Unfortunately, no. Of course not. Do you have class tomorrow? Um, One was canceled. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think they canceled the spring semester is what I heard. (laughs) Especially after a victory tomorrow night, which um, do you want to tell you Bobby Bowden's prediction on the game? Anybody? Anybody care? No? All right. So, and then, uh, so this is Molly. You're going to get to meet Molly a little bit more in a few minutes. And then this is Ryan, who also is on our team, our creative pastor at Passion City. And the reason I wanted you to meet these guys today is because they all have powerful passion stories. But they, they didn't start out uh, in, a, in a zone that people would know about. They started out in a seat where God was working. And uh, Ryan, you've got a lot of history with passion over the ages, and then you became a door holder in 2012, uh, 2013, we were in the dome, first time we were in the full dome, uh, Pokemon stage year. Yep. Anybody remember that year? Yeah, no. and we were you, a few years ahead. If we had timed that with the Pokemon Go thing, we would have been legends. Would have been all, well, we were, we were just groundbreaking as usual. It was amazing. Um, they got the idea from Passion 2013 to bring that back. Uh, the royalties have really helped a lot also. It's been big for us. 
but talk about walking in, talk about Christmas Passion 2013, because I remember it. I see my sister sitting right over there, and it was kind of a, a moment that's frozen in time a little bit for our family. Talk about that Christmas and how that impacted your time with Passion 2013. Um, like Pastor Lee was saying, passion for me was kind of part of the routine. I worked at another church in town at the time, and for Don't several years. Don't mention the name of that won't church. Won't mention it. No, it's so, kind of in the North Point family. Yeah, somewhere up there. Um, <laughs> and so I was working at a church up there, and for several years I had been on uh, the hospitality, the host team for passion conferences, where he'd help drive our guests around and kind of play like secret service agents and drive black SUVs to pick people up and take them to the airport. And that may have just been my perception of it. It was probably just a glorified Uber at the time, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and so I was a door holder serving. Um, my wife and I both were serving um, at conference. And so kind of our normal routine was like Christmas with the family. We would head down to Destin, Florida to spend Christmas with the extended family and then like race back to get back for passion. And that had been kind of our routine for a few years. And, um, and 20, 2012, walking into 2013, started the same way. Was planning on being at Passion 2013 and uh, came to um, Christmas Eve gathering here in 2012 because uh, the church I was working at didn't have a Christmas Eve gathering, and so we came here. Next day, we load up the car, and our family is kind of caravanning down to Destin, Florida, going through uh, L.A., Lower Alabama, all the way down there. Many of you have made that drive, and remember stopping about halfway there, and um, my mom had been riding with my wife and I, Celeste, and they, uh, we stopped for gas. Mom decided she'd ride with Dad for a little bit. We kind of keep on going down the road, and the next thing I know, um, I'm waking up on the side of the road and I don't know what's happened. Um, I don't really have any kind of bearings of what's happening. It's kind of like the moment where clarity starts to come back together, and the next thing I know, um, I'm in an ambulance, and my dad is standing there. My dad, who's a doctor, is going, Ryan, can you hear me, and can you feel everything? And I later learned um, a drunk driver had blown through a stop sign at 55 miles an hour, slammed into his driver's side, vehicle had rolled off the embankment, caught on fire immediately. Um, miraculously, someone saw the accident happened, pulled me out of it, um, and unfortunately, my wife Celeste died on the scene. And uh, my parents at the time, because it kind of got a little bit separated, they kind of turned around after they hadn't seen us for a while. Cell phones weren't answering, and so they kind of came around and they come over the scene, and they kind of came right on into the blue lights everywhere and um, the scene of the accident. Mm. Wow. I remember the moment because... Um or not that moment, but I know our family has known your family for a long time. My sister and myself uh, grew up with your parents at uh, church together. Uh, your grandparents were sort of leaders in the church that I grew up in as a kid. And I remember the phone rang at our house. We were doing our Christmas night together, and my sister stepped out of the room for a moment, came back in, and gave us the news that Celeste hadn't survived the accident and that we didn't really know much about your situation at that time and so what give us maybe the next what you do remember your dad was in the ambulance and all of a sudden the pieces are coming together what, what did the next few hours look like for you um the next few hours looked like uh you know I saw my dad briefly there didn't see him again for a couple hours because as soon as the ambulance door gets shut you kind of go into the hospital and immediately it's scan this test that is this working is that working just kind of assessing and I had um, I was pretty beat up and shaken up glass in my forehead and whatnot and kind of after the testing and all the okay stable stabilizing kind of settled down 
that was the moment where, you know, all of a sudden kind of the room cleared and my parents walked in and that was the moment they said, hey, you know, there's a wreck and that's when I'm kind of piecing all this together and Celeste didn't survive. And from there got transported, was in the hospital um, for four or five days kind of recovering, um, kind of leading up to Passion 2013. I remember the first time I saw you at Passion 2013, um, it's kind of crazy that, you know, you came through the door. You were hobbling and you looked like you'd been through what you'd been through, but you came through the door anyway. Yeah. What, what were you thinking? I remember getting back home and because Passion 2013 was literally like a week later and, and I was supposed to be there and, and we kind of were like, should we go? And I was like, I, I really want to be there. And I felt like in that moment when you're facing a giant of a tragedy like that, you kind of got to find anything that's bigger than that. And that's when I was like, man, I've got to be a passion because that's, that's, you know, the, the Jesus movement happening there, that's bigger than what I'm yeah. facing right now. And so I need something to kind of hold on to. And I mean, I remember walking in to Passion 2013 and it felt like I was kind of like a, a boxer walking into a ring of a fight for my life here of going, I'm at the lowest of lows and I've been in this, you know, defensive posture of it's, I, I, this is happening to me and now this is my first step to go. No, I'm going to take a step up and I'm going to show up and I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus in the presence of these people who are going to lift up the name and I'm going to be there and I'm going to sit in that seat and I'm going to sing the song, you know, one thing remains of in death and life. I'm confident and covered. I'm going to sing that then because I sang it before. Mm -hmm. And that was just, it kind of seemed like the only option of where else could you be? Where else would you be than to be in that moment? Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. We're going to come back to uh, your story in just a minute, but Molly, I wanted to, I want people to meet you. Um, we met you via video earlier this year. Some of the folks here would have seen that at church on the tour night because you were in uh, a video that we showed every night on the Passion Tour this fall. Others may have seen it at conference, but um, you have an amazing story. You had quite a year this year because uh, you were sitting at Passion last year, Passion 2017. We were doing a campaign called Make History Together. And we were trying to sponsor more kids through Compassion International than ever been sponsored in one single event in the history of Compassion. We were trying to knock off all the remaining kids in five different countries. And we started telling that story. And somehow you were sitting in your seat. What were you thinking as, as a college student, a Georgia student, I want to keep putting that in there. Might, might have some Alabama people here also, and God, God's got us all in one big family. But um, what were you thinking as, as Make History Together was sort of unfolding? How was God stirring your heart about whether you should or shouldn't be a part of it? Well, I came into Passion 2017. It was my first time at Passion Conference, and it was a lot about what I was going to get out of it. And... Um, my prayer for the three days was just for God to light a fire in my heart to go back to school and um, just be on fire for him and want to get to know him and want to be in his word. And he answered that prayer. But some point over the course of the three days, he kind of, he kind of made it clear to me that it's not all about me. And in order to really do his will and serve him, I do need that fire for him, but I also, I wanted to be used by him. So he... He gave me a desire to be used by him. And so at some point, I kind of shifted my focus. And instead of praying, give me a fire, it was more like, use me. And um, when Make History Together came on, he just made it clear to me that that is an incredible way to be used. And 
I had no idea just how much it was going to be used by any means. And I mean, beyond being in a video and inspiring others, I had no idea how much it was going to mean to this kid until I went there. And so it was definitely an act of obedience and he gave me this desire on my heart to serve this kid in another country, but it just really um, taught me a lot about how he blows our expectations out of the water if we just follow him. So old school Compassion Days, uh, there would be a child pack. Does anybody remember the child pack? And there was a picture of the kid, of the child, and a description about where they lived. But they couldn't do that at Passion 2017 because we were going to end up sponsoring 7,000 children. And so they created a whole, diff a whole new system just for Passion 2017 where you got a pack, but it had a number. And then you texted that number, and that was going to be your child. It wasn't like, oh, she's cute, or I like him, or he, he looks like he needs help. It was you were going to text that code to a certain number, and then on your phone, bam, there's your child. Mm -hmm. And so you at some point texted that code, and what happened? Who appeared on your phone, and what did you feel immediately when that happened? Well, it's kind of funny because um, my when I texted it in, it didn't work for me. We crashed Shocker. the system. Shocker. <laughs> Amazing. So I went up afterwards, and, and I filled out a different form. And it's funny because there was a spot, and it was like boy or girl preference. I kind of got a little bit of preference in it. And I was... Um, I, I remember thinking, I kind of want a little girl. Like, I want to sponsor a little girl in a foreign country. And then I remember thinking, you know what? If it's God's will for me to sponsor a little boy, who am I to say I want to sponsor a little girl? And so I said, either gender works. And then I got the picture of Juan Rodrigo. And I was like, oh, it's a little boy. And I was immediately really excited. And I went home and I wrote him a letter. And I was excited to be a part of his life. And also, one, one big thing about it that I realized looking back was it was a big step of me um, kind of like letting God run the show, at least financially represent, representing this. Because prior to sponsoring Juan Rodrigo, I was charitable. I, I gave money here and there, but it was always at the end of the month. I would take care of my own wants and needs, and then whatever was left, I would, I would give some. But then this, it's, it changed because I pledged that every month $38 would be deducted from my bank account and then the rest was used for my wants and needs. So I, looking back, I, I didn't even realize that when I did it, I don't think, but it was just a big step in the right direction of letting God run the show and saying, I'll give you my first $38 and then I'll, you'll provide what I need for the rest. Wow, that's cool. Do you remember what you wrote in that first letter when you were writing Juan Rodrigo? What did you write to him in the first letter? Um, I sent him some pictures. So when you go on, it's all digital now. Well, I get paper copies from him, but I send him back digital copies. And um, so I could send him some pictures, and I sent him a picture of my parents and me and um, my little dog, Sophie, and just told him all about me and told him I loved him and I was praying for him. And it's really funny because that was the first letter, so about nine months before I met him. And when I got there, he came up to me and he was like, you have a little black dog. <laughs> I was like, how do you know I have a little black dog? He's like, in your letter. So, I mean, that was just such a cool, cool little um, reminder that he does know me and 
so we just, we've been getting to know each other. And then I got to meet him in real life and got to really get to know him, <laughs> which was such a blessing. Yeah, we, we um, took uh, Molly to meet uh, Juan Rodrigo so that we could share that story on the Passion Tour this year because we wanted to continue to finish the sponsorship of Children in Bolivia. And so about 20,000 people got to hear Molly's story. Here's just a little snapshot of it from the video that we showed every night on tour. And then we started sponsoring children in Bolivia. And that's where I come in. I was one of those sponsors. I pulled out my phone, I typed in the number, and I received a picture of a little boy in a Care Bear t-shirt from Bolivia named Juan Rodrigo. And I said yes. And since then, I've become a part of Juan Rodriguez's life. I am helping to rewrite the story of his life. I get to write him letters. I get to hear about how he's doing. And I know that the money I'm giving is helping him and children just like him to receive food, clean water, medical assistance, education, life skills training, and a chance to hear about Jesus. That is incredible. But what is the best part ever is that today, I'm actually on my way to meet Juan Rodrigo for the first time. I love it. We exceeded our goal on tour. Um, Brett sort of did the invitation for how people gave, but I, it, was, it was God clearly using your story to really connect with people and touch people's lives in a powerful way. I want to come back to that in just a second. But Grant, I want you to talk a little bit about Passion this year, 2018, but you were telling a story about Passion 2008 and how you came to Passion 2008 um, in an interesting time of life. Tell us a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, 2008, I was a 21-year-old sophomore at a school up in the North Georgia mountains. And uh, I got there. Uh, I didn't want to be there. I got there because my whole life I had worked. Uh, I played tennis my whole life. And thank you, one shout out. That's about accurate for this many people. <laughs> um, and I was supposed to graduate high school in 2005. I left a little bit early after my junior year, went and chased this crazy dream of playing tennis at the highest level. And when I got there, I was there for a few months and, and then I got injured. I had a shoulder injury and it was kind of like I worked my whole life, literally my whole life and sacrificed everything I had to be able to chase this dream. And now here I am uh, needing a surgery and felt like everything was kind of crumbling down. So I came home to Gainesville, Georgia, did the surgery, uh, moved back to Hilton Head and gave it my best shot again. And um, I played a tournament in Mobile, Alabama. So I hate that place from now on. Um, <laughs> I was on court 43 and I heard a pop in my shoulder, same shoulder. And I knew it was bad from the moment it happened. I couldn't really hold on to the racket um, and I needed an MRI. And uh, that was in late 2005. And I can remember getting the results from the MRI. I remember, 
I remember the call, my car. I remember uh, the moment I got the call. I remember knowing that it was the hospital calling because I didn't have the number. And I can remember the voice on the other end of the phone saying, um, it's not good. And then he said, I think you're going to have to find something else to do because I don't think the tennis thing is going to work out anymore. And I can remember hanging up, screaming at the top of the lungs in my, in my car, calling my mom and dad and just going, what, what do we do now? This is the only thing we'd ever known, only thing we ever dreamed of, only thing I ever wanted to do. And um, so because I didn't have any other options and my life was uh, in a million pieces on the floor, I decided to enroll in school because that's what you're supposed to do. And so I went to this school down the street from my hometown and sophomore year, an old friend of mine, his mom actually called me and said, hey, um, I got an extra ticket to this thing. Do you want to go? It's a concert. It's going to be at the Gwinnett Arena. And um, that was brilliant because I, I wouldn't have gone to a Jesus thing, but I was up for a concert. <laughs> and um, I said yes. And I kind of limped my way in in 2008 into the upper deck, sat, sat in a seat, and that was my first experience. Wow. So, t well, you, your tennis thing has sort of fizzled out. You're in college now. What are you, what are you thinking about life uh, at this stage of life when you're walking through the door? Because, you know, you, you, you wouldn't think someone's coming through the door, just lost their wife a few days ago. Um, you, you would think maybe that a student's coming through the door thinking, what am I going to get out of this? But you, you never know how people are, are coming through the door. Like, we, we, you wouldn't know how people came through the door into this gathering right now. What, what was your mindset at that time of life? I think, uh, so I had lost my entire identity. Uh, everything I had ever been known for, worked for, was gone. And I had spent the last two years desperately searching for some other source of worth. Maybe I could be good at this. Maybe I could be good at that. Maybe if I did this, people would want to be around me again. Or, or maybe if I did this, I could find some sense of value in it. And so I, I chased that as hard as I could. I tried to become the president of everything you could become the president of at my university. I tried to... Um, you know, work my way up a lot of different mountains just to find some sense of worth or identity again. But I think if I could put a word on that zone of life, just to simplify it, I would have said my life at that point in time was hopeless. And hopeless gets thrown around, but if you think about it in its purest sense, that was me. There was no hope. And I tried everything I could try. I tried to find other forms of identity. I tried stuff that could numb the pain. And when you're that desperate, I think you'll try anything. And I didn't know what I was going to, and I wasn't real fired up about being there once I found out what I was going to. Um, but I was open to it because I was desperate. So what was it like? You walked in, at some point you realized that you had been hoodwinked by this <laughs> friend of yours, mom, this kid that you'd played tennis with growing up. Isn't that awesome when one of your friend's moms calls you and tells you you need to go to something? And so you, you're walking in, you're like, well, who is it? And it's not Kenny Chesney, you know? I know that's probably what you would have loved, something Absolutely. country back then. Absolutely. Uh, but what, what was the process where you were like, my goodness, this is, I don't have any idea what this is. And then what was the outcome of that? Yeah, I, I walked in, and we sat on the right side of the stage up in the upper decks because we were late because I wasn't super fired up about going. And um, I can remember the worship team came out, and I had never seen anything, you know, like that in my entire life. And I was like, 
man, these guys are good. I didn't know what they were singing about, but I was like, man, they are good. And so I was intrigued. I, like, if you looked at me on the outside, some of you that are, like, not sure about being here right now, you, you can relate to me. You're, like, on the outside, it's like this. But on the inside, you're like, this is pretty cool, you know? <laughs> and that's how I was. And then um, I can remember you coming up to speak. And I, I grew up in an amazing, amazing family. My mom and dad are amazing Jesus people. And taught, you know, we grew up going to church when I wasn't traveling to tournament. But you got up to open... Uh, the word and teach, and I thought, uh, that guy's the pastor, because <laughs> um, you were cool, and, um, <laughs> and then you started talking, and I had never heard anybody talk about Jesus the way you talked about him, and it made me think, not in that moment, I'm all in, it made me think, maybe this is worth giving a shot to, yeah. because he looks pretty convinced of it, so maybe it's worth me trying it out. Wow. Amazing. Ryan, um, yeah, I think oh, somebody wanted to clap for that. <laughs> so, Ryan, five years have gone by. You're remarried. Um, you're no longer at that North Point uh, church. Thank you. And, and, and they're suffering because of it. I think they've really taken a hit. Still to this day. Yeah, they're struggling. Um, but you've been on our team for a while, which we love. And, um, you know, you're here talking about passion. You were actually a big part of leading passion this year. Mm-hmm. And, and your story is moving forward. I've heard you say before that every time you come to passion, it's like a victory lap. Yeah. I made it one more year. Yeah. And I know a lot of people can relate to that that are sitting here today. I'm, I made it to Christmas. I made it to another Christmas. Yeah. Um, but your story is going forward. There's another family involved in your story, and their story yeah. isn't in some ways going forward. It is going forward, but right. never going to be the same. Right. And yours is never going to be the same either. But yeah. um, what, what would you say to somebody here today that is coming through a, a, a huge season of pain, loss, death, brokenness, and what would you say to them going into a new year? Yeah. I think there's a couple things that I would think if you're facing pain or if you're facing a tragedy of anything like that, what I would say is is maybe 2018 is the year that you can let your pain become the platform that God can use you. And maybe this is the year that you go, I'm tired of being in that defensive posture of, of this evil or this thing happening to me, and I'm going to start to utilize this to lift up the name of Jesus and encourage someone else. And I think there's an important piece that happens with that. And I think the first thing that you have to do is you have to link your healing to the person of Jesus, not, wow. not to a resolution, restitution, justice, or any other outcome. Because the reality is, yes, I'm remarried, and it's amazing, and Courtney is amazing, and I am so blessed to have uh, been able to be married to her for almost four years now, and that's incredible. But my healing wasn't linked to Courtney. My healing was linked to Jesus' work in my life. Wow. And I think that that's no clearer a picture than in this amazing passage, Psalm 23, which has been one of my, um, kind of just a verse that's been all through my life. I remember my grandfather, who you know, would... Uh, make us memorize this verse together. And of course it was in the King James. I'll read it in the NIV, but it'll still work. But no, give it to us in the King James. I'll try it by memory. Put some and therefore is in there. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. This is all sounding great. Like this is like, this was my life leading up to December 25th, 2012. 
even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's December 25th, 2012. And then I love that the, the, the completion of this is you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And for me, that's the picture of it all. For, so if you're walking through pain, if you're walking through whatever, know that verse four is there. You're gonna walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, but fear no evil because the Lord's rod and the staff, they're gonna comfort you. And the beautiful thing on the other side of this, on the other side of this, God is gonna use your pain in an amazing way. And he's going to anoint your head with oil. Your cup's gonna overflow and goodness and mercy will follow you for all your days. So Molly, you came uh, to Passion as one of, uh, I don't know, 55,000 college students in a, in a football stadium that's no longer with us. And you could feel like I'm just a tiny speck in a big crowd of people, but yet all of a sudden here you are um, being used by God to not only uh, change Juan Rodrigo's life, but there are thousands of other children now who are getting letters from their sponsor uh, because God's using you and your voice to encourage more people. Uh, talk about that, what that feels like to see the beauty of God taking my life and actually using my life in a bigger story to impact other people. Um, well, coming back on the airplane from Bolivia, it's funny because I remember thinking, I am just, before I knew if one person was going to sponsor another kid or 5,000 or 10,000, I had no idea what the outcome of this adventure would be. And I just remember thinking, no matter what, I can't wait to know when I get to heaven about all the impact that this has brought. And the thing is, I mean, I know that 5,000 people have sponsored kids, and that is so amazing. But I also know that God's done way more with this adventure than that because those 5,000 kids that are sponsored, they're learning about Jesus and they're going to impact their communities. And the 5,000 people that chose to sponsor kids, they're going to be impacted by it and they're going to tell their friends. And just the impact goes on and on and that's just how God works. And what I was kind of thinking about is I need to go every day with that kind of mindset of I can't wait to get to heaven and see the impact of what today has brought. Because you never know if it's choosing to go to Bolivia or if it's just smiling at somebody at a restaurant. You just never know what God's gonna use that for. And I've just learned that no matter what, if you're following his will to serve others and love others, then he's gonna blow all of that way beyond what you could imagine for yourself. And I mean, like you said at Passion, you said um, your dreams are almost always too small for what God's got in store for you. So amazing. That's, I feel like because Molly has been used by God in such a powerful way and she's a Georgia student, I just feel like God's going to bless Georgia because of Molly's faithfulness. I just feel like it's, it's one more layer. And I just keep mentioning that because I know some of you, that's the only reason you came to church today. Um, you're like, maybe, maybe if I, I, I'm going to church, Lord, you know, we're here, we're all here. Grant, so 10 years go by, yes. 
and you were uh, in a cul-de-sac of disappointment. All your dreams were gone, and you didn't know who you were. You said, I've heard you say in the past that you were not sure you really even wanted to keep living. You were so far down. You didn't know what life looked like without tennis because you didn't know who you were. And then here, 10 years have gone by. And not only are you here, but you were back in Infinite. That was a regional event we did in 2008 because we did the world tour that year, so we didn't have a big conference like we just had. And that was one of the smaller regional events we did that year before we went on this 17-city, 16-nation tour. And now 10 years have gone by, and you're back in Infinite, but not sitting up in the upper deck. You're actually standing on the stage. You're the leader of that venue. You're hosting that venue for Fashion 2018. So how could you encourage us today who feel like maybe the relationship went down the drain, the job evaporated, all my plans I worked so hard for, that's not going to happen now? Um, I think a few things. I think the the one thing I really want to say today is um, for me now, I think things with God sometimes don't make sense through the windshield, but in the rearview mirror they do. Yeah. And for me, this moment, this year, that was that. And it was amazing to think about the faithfulness of God. But I really came because there's probably in a room like this somebody who can relate to where I was. And I was at the place of giving up, not giving up like I had a tough day give up. The kind of giving up you feel where you wake up wanting to give up and you go to sleep wanting to give up. That kind of give up. No hope. You got all the pieces on the floor and you think to yourself, there's no way for me to rearrange those and make them into anything. And I think if you're here and you're in this place, hosting that venue this year was the fuel I need for the rest of my life to continue telling people don't quit do not quit regardless of how many mornings you've waken up wanting to quit don't quit because this guy Jesus that we're talking about he can look at all the pieces on the floor shattered into a million pieces and to him it doesn't look like a million random pieces it looks like ingredients for something new and nobody, nobody wants their dream to die. Nobody wants their work to be wasted. Nobody wants years of their life to feel like they just evaporated and I never even got to see the best of it. And I think I just wanted to say to everybody today, sometimes a dream has to die so another one can be born. And um, Jesus never leads us into less. So if you're in a million pieces on the floor today, and just keep putting one foot in front of the other, because there will be a day when you look through the rearview mirror, and though you've given up on yourself, there is a great God who hasn't given up on you, and he has a great plan for your life. So trust him, believe him, and seek after him with everything you've got. Wow, that's great.
You can just stay standing for a moment, um, if you don't mind. You guys can just stay sitting for a minute, because it'd be awkward if you stood. <laughs> you know, today is really a reminder, isn't it, that God sees. In the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 16, where God had promised them a son. An amazing promise to a man and a wife who are not only unable to have children, but who are so far past childbearing age that it would be a joke if they did have a kid. And God said, I'm going to do a miracle. And they believed that and they wanted that to happen, but it didn't happen right away. And in time, they got impatient like I do and like you do. And then they thought, well, maybe we should figure it out for God, like I've done and like you've done. And then they took a shortcut, like I've done and like you've done. And eventually, Sarah said, it's her plan, Abraham, why don't you just sleep with Hagar, my servant, and maybe that's the way God will make this work, because I don't see any other way for this dream to be fulfilled. And so that's what happened. And even though that was Sarah's idea, this is all Genesis 16, although that was Sarah's idea, once that Abraham had been with Hagar, Sarah's heart turned and she threw her out of her house. The scripture said she treated her harshly. We don't know all of what that meant, but we read a few verses down that this servant girl is now on her own, alone, um, confused, and an angel appears to her. And God speaks to her. It doesn't matter whether you're in the plan or you messed up the plan or whether other people hijacked the plan. God will still speak to you. And he came and he spoke to her. You're going to have a son. And this is what you're going to call his name. And he explained everything to her. And the thing that was amazing to Hagar, a servant girl, a nobody, if you will, in the equation, now is being spoken to personally by the God of all creation. And she says, Hagar does, at the end of this moment, she says, you are the Lord who sees. She called him in the Hebrew the name El Roy the God who sees. And then she said, and I have seen the God who sees me. I wanted you to hear from Ryan and Molly and Grant today because passion is not simply about 33,000 people in arenas. And church today isn't simply about several thousand people in a gathering. Church today is about Elroy, the God who sees. Yes, he is the God of gods, but he is also the God who sees. And however you walked in today, he sees. Whatever season you're in, he sees. Whatever you're up against, he sees. Whatever you can't see, he sees you. And his promise to you today is, I know you. I see you. I have not forgotten about you. I have a purpose 
and a plan for you. 2018 is not going to be a wash. It is going to be a year of God leading every one of us into his purposes and into his plans for our lives. Because his name is El Roy, the God who sees. And I pray today that there'll be people leaving this gathering who would say, I see the God who sees me.